Today we're going to talk about uh, being happy and what the Scripture teaches about happiness and purpose and meaning in life. And, you know, one of the things all of us understand is that what happens in life affects how we feel tremendously. I, For instance, I know there's a lot of unhappy people in the room today because of the way all the football games went yesterday, right? So circumstances definitely affect how we feel. Uh, the Gallup organization surveyed Americans and asked this question. What days last year were the happiest days for you, and on which days were you the least happy? And it's interesting. When they asked the Americans, which days last year were you the happiest on, what do you think some of those days were that Americans said they were, they were the happiest last year? Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's Day, holidays. Family time, away from work, celebrating, etc. Holidays. What days do you think Americans said on average last year were their least happy days? Monday. Okay. <laughs> I get it. They mentioned uh, very, very often in the survey the day when the shooting happened at the school up in Connecticut. <clears throat> Election day. And the day after Election Day. Those were the three unhappiest days in America last year. Christmas and Thanksgiving, the happiest days. And, you know, what, what I found interesting about that was it just illustrated what we already know is that what's going on in life affects how we feel. I mean, you have a good day and you're happy. It's usually because certain things have gone your way. They happened in a way that you like. When you talk about having a bad day and not being happy, it's because things occurred in a way you wish they had not occurred or it was things happened that you don't like. And so we're all touched by all of that stuff. I want to ask you a question. Are you happy? What makes you happy? What is your plan for living a life that is happy? And is it working? I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible has a lot to say about happiness and meaning and significance and <clears throat> and so on. And we're going to look this morning at some of what, <clears throat> excuse me, some of what Scripture says about that. So as we continue our, our sermon series, Thy Word, Psalm 119, if you haven't opened your Bible already, please, Psalm 119. I want to begin by making one point. There's a place for you to jot this down in your notes, some blanks to fill in, and I hope you'll take some notes as we study this morning. Uh, and, and it's this, that, that in Scripture, in the Bible, God's Word lays out for us the path to a happy life. It really does. God says, if you want to live a happy life, then here's the way to live. Here's the path you should travel. And the author of Psalm 119 began this very beautiful, powerful psalm by talking about that very thing. Look at what he said in the very first two verses of Psalm 119. He said, how blessed, how happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed, how happy are those, notice this, who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. And the Hebrew word translated as blessed here is a word that basically means to be successful, to be blessed, to be happy, to live a life that you like, a life that is successful, a life that is happy. But here's what's interesting. That Hebrew word comes from a root word that means literally to go straight. Now, get the connection. What this word is telling us 
is that when you follow a straight path, when you follow the right path, one that God lays out, it results in a life that is blessed, a life that has meaning and happiness, a life that has uh, what God considers success, a life of significance, a life in which you are happy and are at peace. And not every path you can travel leads you to that place. In fact, many paths lead you to a bad place. Let me illustrate what this verse is saying. Proverbs chapter 9 verse 6 is in your notes and on the screen. The Bible says this, forsake your folly and live and proceed, proceed in the way of understanding. Now what does he mean by that? Folly is a Folly is a word that means things that are silly, things that are foolish, things that uh, may make sense to a lot of people, but they're contrary to what God says. When he says proceed in the way of understanding, that word proceed translates the Hebrew word that is the root word for blessed. So God in, in in, in chapter 119 of Psalms said, if you want to be happy, then pay attention to what Scripture says and follow that path. That root word means to go straight. Here God says if you, want, if you really want to live a happy life, you've got, to, you've got to proceed, go straight, travel on the way, on the path of understanding, the insight that God gives us from Scripture. And if you do that, the result is your life has significance. Your life has meaning. But not all of us follow that path. We, we, we look for a lot of things to make us happy, whatever our age. This week I asked... Uh, Brother David, our youth pastor, to survey our, put a question on, on Facebook for our students about what makes them happy or what stresses them out. And uh, they gave some answers. Some of the things that makes them happy is making good grades. When, 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 when their sports teams win instead of losing, that makes them happy. Having money to buy things makes them happy. Does that sound any different than the adults in this room? I mean, some of you would be flying flags on your car this morning if Clemson or Carolina had won yesterday. But because they didn't win, you took the flags off, and you feel kind of down. Some of you are telling yourself, whatever your age, if you had more money to buy a nicer car, a nicer house, different clothes, whatever it is, you'd be happy. Or you'd be happier than you are if you just had more of that. They wanted good grades. You won't. A promotion at work. You want to do a good job. And you think, man, if I can just... It, these things can make me happy. And, and we all stress out over the same thing. After, By the way, one of the, one of the, one of the students, in response to that Facebook question, what makes you happy, put... Uh, and what makes them unhappy, said the thing that makes them unhappy is stress. What would make them happy is having no stress. So I said, David, go back and post another question, a follow-up question. What stresses you out? And you know what they said? In a different way, they said the same thing those of you who are older than them would say. What stresses them out is having too much to do. Trying to get it all done, balance that stuff between schoolwork and doing a good job and sports and the other correct, uh, extracurricular activities that you're plugged into, and, and you're not having enough time to do it all, and it just stresses you out. Hey, does that sound like most adults in this room? Between work and family and everything else you'd like to do, you say, man, I can't get it all done, and it stresses you out, and you're not happy. And the problem is, listen, there's a lot of good things in life. And listen, the enemy of a, of a, of a good life, of a happy life, is not necessarily just bad stuff. 
The, the enemy of a happy life, a meaningful life, can be trying to have too much of anything. Trying to chase too many rabbits. Trying to go down too many paths. And you can't get it all done. That's what folly is. Folly is saying, here's all these other things that that our culture says you have to have to be happy. And I'm going to go down that path. I'm going to chase that for, for, for all I'm worth. I'm giving everything I've got to all those paths and At the same time, God is saying that here's the path of understanding, the path that Scripture lays out, and we don't have the energy to really invest in that path. And it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's interesting how when you start going down the path of needing all this stuff, it's never enough. It's been uh, a lot of, you know, uh, scandals in sports recently over steroids, performance-enhancing drugs, illegal drugs and stuff. And, of course, A-Rod's trying to appeal his suspension, Alex Rodriguez, highest-paid player in Major League Baseball, suspended for all of next season for for, uh, steroid use. You know what's interesting about A-Rod? Before he started using steroids or being accused of them, of using it, before before that all started early in the 2000s, before he started doing all that that's got him in trouble today and ruined his reputation, A-Rod already had signed, now listen, he had already signed the highest paid contract in the history of professional sports. But it wasn't enough. He was already insured that he'd go to the Hall of Fame because of his career stats. But it wasn't Enough. Barry Bonds holds the record for the most home runs in a career and in a single season in Major League Baseball. Look at the difference in him after he started using steroids. Here's the thing. Before he started using steroids in the late 90s, Barry Bonds had already been the most valuable player three times. Rich beyond our dreams and destined for the Hall of Fame. But it wasn't enough. When you begin living for folly and going down these paths that that God says, listen, they're silly. They're not necessarily bad. They may be, they may not be, but they, they, they take so much from you. You don't have time, you don't have energy, you don't have resources for the path that God's laid out in Scripture that ultimately leads to happiness and to significance and for meaning in life. And here's the kicker. Some of these other paths you spend all your time going down, in the end, are going to kick you. In the end... They're going to bring shame on you. In the end, it's not enough because you can have and have and have and get and get and get. And in here, you're still not happy. 
You still don't have purpose and meaning and significance in life because those paths that the world says you got to follow to find it never get you there. And even in those brief moments when you think it does, it doesn't last. That's why you've got to have another and more and something new and something different. It's shallow. It doesn't last. Let me move on. There are some things Scripture teaches us about living a life of significance and a life that's happy that you can't learn anyplace else in life. That's the second lesson I want to point out to us from Psalm 119 about a happy life is that some of this stuff, some of this insight into living a happy life, you, you can't learn it just by getting a good education You can't learn it just by living a long life. It doesn't naturally come with age and education. Look at what he says in verses 98 and following. Psalm 119, verses 98 and following. Read with me. The psalmist says, God, how I love your law. In verse 97, it's my meditation. Then in verse 98, he says, your commandments, one of those words for Scripture, your commandments make me wiser than, I, than my enemies, for they are ever mine. He said, God, when I get into your scripture, I learn stuff. I, I learn stuff that people who aren't living for you don't know. I, I get insights into how to live that those who never think about you and never turn to your word, they never discover those insights about life. Verse 99. He said, I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation." He said, I understand in verse 100, I understand more than the agent because I have observed your precepts. Now notice what he's saying. He's saying, God, because I, I'm chasing you with all my heart, I, I want to live a life that, that, that travels down the path you have for me as your disciple. And I know, God, that's where I find significance and happiness in life. And God, therefore, I turn to your word and I gain these insights into how to live, what's, what my value should be and how I should think about stuff. And, and, and God, I just find peace and I find stuff. And God, I learn stuff when I look to your scripture that I'm never going to learn no matter how many degrees I get. Now listen, I, I, I have a master's degree. I believe in education. It makes a difference in this world. But all of us know educated people who are not wise and not happy. He, he says in, in this passage, God, from your scripture, I learned things about life that I could never discover just through experiences, through living a long life and becoming an old person. And the truth is, every one of us in this room, we know people who are elderly that are miserable. We know older people who've lived a long life and they're grouchy and they're unhappy. They're never satisfied. And when they look back over their life, just just not much positive they ever say. You see, happiness and significance and meaning and purpose don't come from getting a good education and doesn't come from living a long time. I hope all of us in here live to be 100 if you're in good health. 
I hope you all know Jesus and go to heaven and live for eternity. But long life in and of itself doesn't mean you'll have a good life. I hope you put your education to work and get a good job and you're providing for your family, but I'm going to tell you, you can do that. And there's people who they work hard and they make good money, but their life, their life, well, it's not what they want. They have stuff, but they don't have happiness. Now, here's the, here's the encouraging thing about this. To live a happy life, a meaningful life, you don't have to have the highest IQ or the highest test score. To live a happy or meaningful life, you, you don't have to be the, payest, the highest paid person in your company. To live a happy and meaningful life, you don't have to make the best grades, the most money, have the best job. You don't have to have the prettiest kids or grandkids. You don't have to have the nicest house, the nicest car. To, to be happy, you don't have to live a 100 years. To be happy, you don't have to have all kinds of life experiences to learn the hard way. God says, I've laid out for you in Scripture the path that can get you there. But all these other things that the culture says you've got to chase if you're going to have it, they won't get you there. They're going to kick you in the end. They're going to leave you with less than you thought. Now, I want you to notice that each of these verses talk about Scripture. It's your commandments, Lord, that make me wise. This insight comes from your testimonies. I meditate on it. I've observed your precepts. He says, God, I turn to your Scripture, and when I do, I learn stuff about living that makes my life better. So how much are you investing in knowing what God says about the path to, to a significant life, a meaningful life, a happy life? Are you, are, you, are you putting your energy into knowing Scripture and what God says? Or are you putting it into chasing all these other things and therefore you have very little left over for learning what God says about how to live? How's it working out for you? How much impact is the Bible having on your way of living today? What is the source of your opinions about life? Where do your opinions come from? See, happiness for a lot of us depends too much on circumstances. And here's the problem with that. Circumstances are not always good. Some of us in this room have lived long enough that we've We've been through some very difficult circumstances. Everybody in this room is going to go through hard times. And if your happiness and meaning in life is dependent on your circumstances, you're in for a rough life. Because you're going to have some rough days. Everything's not going to go your way. It's just not. It's how life is sometimes. But here's the thing. See, when you focus on Scripture and learning about living from God and His Word, it's in His Scripture and His Word that God gives us the strength to overcome life's hardships. Look at verse 165 near the end of Psalm 119. Verse 165. He said, Those who love your law have great peace. Peace is the Hebrew word shalom. It's a word so big, no English word translates it well. 
Shalom means health, security, tranquility, welfare, success, peace, comfort. It's a complete and full life. Those who love your law, your scripture, your word, have great shalom. And nothing causes them to stumble. Now, it doesn't mean there are not obstacles in their path. There is. It doesn't mean they don't ever stub their toe against an obstacle. They, they bump into hard times. But the word stumble there means to stumble, to fall, to become weak, to be tripped and fall down. And in your spiritual life, not only to fall down, but it can then be used as a symbol of what it means to be led astray into sin, to trip over something and fall away from God, fall away from the church. And hardships, listen, hardships are an obstacle that, that, that come to everybody's path, everybody's life. And there are some Christians, some church people, some disciples of Jesus, when the hard time comes, they trip and fall. They become spiritually weak and they, they fall from God. They fall from the church. Their spiritual life falls down. It falls back. Something happens. Someone does something and it causes them to spiritually stumble. And they, they lose the shalom of God. And when you lose the shalom of God, you lose the peace of God, you lose your intimacy with God, you're much more likely to trip over this and fall. And there are certain things in particular that cause a lot of people to trip, to stumble. One of those is found in verse 28. Look at verse 28. He said, my, the psalmist said, Lord, my soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Some people, when they experience loss in life, they stumble. They fall down. They fall away. I've talked to two different families this weekend who've experienced loss, who've experienced death. I've, I've known people. I've known people in this church. I've known people in other churches. When they experience grief, when they experience loss, they run from God. They fall. They stumble. The psalmist said, God, when I'm experiencing grief right now, I'm crying, God. But my response is, my response is, I'm turning to your word, and in your word I'm going to see your presence and your guidance, and you're going to strengthen me, and God, I'm not going to fall, I'm not going to stumble. Something else that causes us to trip and stumble is found in verse 23. He said, even though princes sit and talk against me, your servant meditates on your statutes, on your word. Sometimes people stumble because of the behavior of other people. When some of the youth responded to that Facebook question about what stresses you out, one of, them, one of them's answer was people. People. People talk about you. People gossip about you. They make false accusations about you. They break their promises. They lie to you. They let you down. They hurt you. They do something to you. And some of us, when that happens, we trip over that. 
We give up over that. We fall away from God. We fall away from Sunday school. We fall away from church. We fall away from the people of God because we focused on that and we tripped and we fell flat on our face. And folks, here's the thing. Falling down hurts. I remember when when I was a senior in high school, I chipped a bone in my wrist because I fell hard on pavement. And for years that would flare up and hurt. Falling down hurts. And, and, and listen, the rain's going to fall. Grief is going to come. People are going to hurt you. There's that hurt. But if you allow that hurt to cause you to trip and fall, all you do is add more hurt to your life. Because you allow it to get you off the path that can pick you up and lead you to joy and meaning and peace and fulfillment and shalom and happiness. All you do is dwell on your pain. Spend the rest of your life hurting. Spend the rest of your life focused on the pain. Notice what he said in verses 28 and 23. God, when people hurt me or when I experience grief, when bad things happen... Yes, God, I cry and I feel that, but I don't live there. I don't focus on that. That doesn't consume me. God, in those moments, I choose because I want to be on your path to a life of meaning and happiness. God, I choose to turn to your word, meditate on it, hear your voice, receive your guidance, and receive from you the strength to keep going because I'm not going to allow any person and I'm not going to allow any circumstance of life to beat me. And there's too many of us, we've allowed other people to whip us. We've allowed circumstances to whip us spiritually and in relationships from the church and from God and you're the one paying for it. Because you're the one losing what God has for you. Shalom. Strength. I don't like it when life gets hard. And I've cried. And I will again. But I know the path I want to live on. And I know where I'm going to turn so that I never get off that path. What about you? You can do that too. One last thing. See, God, God's Word not only gives me the strength to overcome my hardship, God's Word gives me the guidance I need to keep on living godly, to keep on living for the Lord. Look at verse 133. Establish my footsteps in your Word. And do not let iniquity or sin have dominion over me. God, fix me and make me steadfast on your word, on your path, on the life you've laid out for me. And God, I don't want anything to ever happen that allows sin or iniquity to become my boss, to rule over me, have dominion over me, to dominate my life. God, I am going to stay fixed on the path you've put in front of me. And God, don't allow anything to ever get me off. Don't allow culture. Don't allow the crowd. Don't allow Satan. Don't allow sin. Don't allow other people. 
Don't allow the hardships. Don't allow grief. Don't allow gossip. Don't allow criticism. Don't allow disappointments. God, don't allow anything to get me off that path. And then the last verse, verse 9. How can the young man keep his way pure, cleansed? By keeping it, observing it, by doing it according to your word, according to Scripture. I said that for a lot of people who go to church, grief or loss and the actions or words of other people get them off track, cause them to stumble. There's two other things I want to end with that cause a lot of people to stumble. Money and sex. Money and sex. Listen, you don't have to have a lot of money for money to cause you to stumble. You can just want more of it. You can become bitter because you don't have more of it. You can spend what you have on the wrong things. You can get yourself foreign debt because you want things that all of a sudden life is miserable. Money causes a lot of people to stumble. Sex causes a lot of people to stumble. Our culture is one that's dominated by money and sex. Is it, listen, is it any wonder that the more sexually permissive our culture becomes, it seems that fewer and fewer people know how to have a good marriage? I mean, just put your, put your brain in gear for a minute and think about that. Do you think it's just a coincidence that at the very moment in history when sex is the end-all, be-all, no matter what God says, that people today are more ignorant than any time in our history when it comes to knowing how to have a great marriage? You think that's an accident? When we go down the path that God says is silly because the world says it will make you happy, sooner or later, if we're smart, we'll wise up and realize the world lied to us. It didn't work. It didn't work. It just doesn't work. There's a young man, I really don't know how to pronounce his name, born in North Korea, Shin Dong Hayuk. Somebody may know how to pronounce that last part of his name. I don't know how to say it. I'll just call him Shin. He was born, now listen to this, he was born in a labor camp in North Korea. North Korea has over 200,000 political prisoners, people they've put in labor camps because they don't support the communist government or because they're Christians. Shin was born in that labor camp. He was born there. And actually, he was born in Camp 14, which is the most notorious of all those camps where Starvation is rampant. People are tortured in dungeons, medieval style. Death is common. So bad that family members will turn on each other to stay alive. When he was 23 years old, he escaped. Now, 
that was the only place he'd ever lived, the only life he'd ever known. 23, he escapes, makes his way to America. Now he lives in Seoul, South Korea, which is a very prosperous city like many American cities. But here's what's intriguing to me, and I'll close with this. He talked about what he struggles with in life now. Listen to what he said. I'm, I'm going to read it to you so I get it right. Here's what he said. He said, when I lived in the labor camp, I had to suffer a lot of pain. And you see some evidence of that on, on, on his shin bones there. I had to suffer a lot of pain. But in South Korea, you have to suffer when you don't have enough money. He said, it's exhausting. It's all about money. That makes life tough for me here. He went on to say, when I think about it, I rarely saw someone committing suicide in the camp. Life was hard, and you were an inmate your whole life. But in South Korea, many people attempt suicide. It may look like the people here don't want for anything. They have clothes and food. But there are more people committing suicide here than in the labor camp. You and I lived in a blessed nation. And the American dream is a reality still. But here's the thing. If we're not careful, the quote-unquote American dream becomes the folly of our lives. Because our culture says the only way you're going to be happy is you have to have this and you have to have that and you need this and you need that. And we start going down all those paths and all of a sudden all those things we're chasing begin dominating us. They become our boss. And the things that Scripture says make for a good life, the things that I think on some level as a disciple intuitively or through the Spirit, however it comes, we kind of got a sense of what really matters. But because we're investing so much in all this that the culture says you have to have and be and do, we don't have time and energy. We don't have the commitment. We don't have the willingness to go down the path that God says leads to life, to a meaningful life, to a happy life to a fulfilled life because we listen to the culture, we listen to the crowd more than we listen to God and to Scripture. You only get one life. There's not a do-over. So the path you travel matters choose wisely because in choosing you are determining your life you are deciding on your life choose wisely when God prompts you by His Spirit, when God prompts you from Scripture, obey Him. Don't argue with Him. Take the step He leads you to take. 
taste, Scripture says. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's stand. And I'm inviting you. I'm not inviting, oh, I'm inviting everybody, but listen, I'm inviting you. I'm talking to you, right? I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to choose the path of Christ, the path laid out in Scripture, the path that the voice of God is speaking into your heart right now. I'm inviting you to choose that path. I'm inviting you to do what God's telling you to do right now. You have the opportunity, if you would like to, to to pray here at the front as we sing this song. And just to talk to God. To make a decision of some kind. If you want to talk with a pastor, we'll be glad to talk with you. If you're needing to join this church, you want to join our church, we'd love for you to be part of our family. And, and help us make Jesus known in this community and help us help people not only have a relationship with Him but grow in that relationship with Him and become disciples who love Him with all their heart. Help us do that. And if you need to give your life to Christ, if you need to become a Christ follower, we invite you right now. Come and let us know your decision. Let's sing together. Sing with us. You come and make your decision for Christ.